Well, good morning. With all I've been through these last six months, many days I thought I would probably never be able to get back up here again. But thanks to the mercy of the good Lord and the answers to the prayers of all the saints that have been praying for me, I'm here again. My my role for at least 20 years has been when pastor calls on Saturday or Friday or 6.30 Saturday morning and says, I'm sick, I can't preach. That My role has been for, it's been like 20 years. You know, I try to always have something ready so that I can preach when he's sick and when he texted yesterday at 6.30 in the morning. You don't you love texts at 6.30 on Saturday morning? <laughs> but anyway, I, I have had a sermon ready since last November before I got sick. So, yes, I'm still ready to go. My biggest fear is that I'll fall when I go off that step because sometimes this head doesn't keep me exactly sunny side up, as they say. But uh, I want to start our journey today through the book of First Peter. Now, this may seem strange for someone that's uh, suffering from esophageal cancer to start a study through a book, but that was my plan before. And, you know, if you read in Revelation, it says the righteous still do what they do, the wicked still do what they do, so whatever I've been doing, that's what I'm going to continue to do. And... Um, I spent two sermons, one talking about the life of Peter while Jesus was with him on earth, and another sermon about uh, Peter and his role in the church after Jesus had gone back to heaven. We'll review that a little bit, and then we will get into uh, the book of First Peter. But let's do a little bit of review, and then we'll pray and get into it. So Peter was a Galilean fisherman. His name was actually Simon, son of John. Uh, he was called by Jesus to be an apostle, and Jesus changed his name from Simon to Petros in the Greek, which means rock, and then Petros has been transliterated into the English as Peter, so we have Simon becoming Peter because Jesus changed his name. When Jesus walked the earth, he was the leader among the disciples. Uh, he spent three years with Jesus. Uh, he, with James and John, was part of the inner circle. They got to spend the most time with Jesus, so we would think they got to know him better than the others. He was blessed by the Father, God the Father, to be the first to recognize, or at least publicly proclaim, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the disciple to whom Jesus entrusted the keys of the kingdom. Uh, Peter was also that very confused disciple that tried to take his sword and fight the entire Roman cohort when they came to arrest Jesus, but then ended up denying Jesus three times that night. After Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Peter was the disciple that he instructed to feed my sheep, tend my lambs. 
And after Jesus ascended back to heaven, uh, Peter became the leader among the apostles. He was given the keys to the kingdom, and he used his keys to the kingdom to first invite Jewish people to come into the kingdom on the day of Pentecost. And he later used his keys of the kingdom to invite the Samaritan people to come into the kingdom. And at the home of Cornelius, he invited Gentile people to come into the kingdom. So uh, Peter was used by God much in the early days of the church to uh, lead the church to spread the good news of the gospel and to protect the purity and the doctrines of the apostolic church. If you remember at the first council, he was the one that stood up and said, yes, Gentiles do not have to become Jews to become Christians. So he was a very big leader in the early church. Uh, as far as the book of uh, 1 Peter, we believe that Peter wrote this sometime around A.D. 65. Uh, it doesn't have a published date in it, so we can't say for sure. The early church fathers say that at that time Peter and Paul were working together uh, to establish the church in Rome. That leads to an entirely different picture than what some people like to say of what there being a dispute between Paul and Peter. Uh, I think they worked together. Their gospel was the same gospel. And Peter would have been considered an aged man when he wrote this. And then I'm going to read the introduction to 1 Peter. That's the first two verses of 1 Peter. And then we'll pray. Now, I want you to note that there's much, much difference in translations when it comes to the first verse of 1 Peter. It's many different ones. We're going to get into that. So if you follow along, you can see how your translations are different than my New American Standard Bible. First uh, Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who resides as aliens scattered through Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. But let's pray. Father, I ask your help this day as we look at these two verses here of 1 Peter, that you would help us to understand what you want us to understand, that we might learn from your word as your apostle Peter tries to instruct us. Please, Father. And I also to pray for the sick and those that couldn't be with us, that you might bring blessing to them this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with verse 1, I want to address two questions. One is, who were these aliens? That it says, those who reside as aliens. And in what sense they were aliens? But And then it talks about uh, chosen. That's not a, a controversial a word, I think that's 
the same in all. It may say elect or chosen, but that's not a matter of, of any kind of dispute. But uh, the alien, that a word that gets much attention. Uh, my NASB addressed this letter to the aliens scattered through what is now northern and western Turkey. These were Roman provinces with majority Greek-speaking residents. But now my New American Standard says uh, who reside as aliens. How many have aliens? No one else has aliens in their Bible? Hmm. Oh, we have one. How about pilgrims? How many have pilgrims? Okay, some pilgrims. Okay. How about strangers? Ah, yes, we have strangers. Exiles. Oh, man, a whole bunch of exiles. Sojourners. No sojourners. Well, the, the Net Bible avoids all that, and it just says those temporarily residing abroad. So uh, so we need to kind of get into why this is all so different. Uh, the terms alien and pilgrim and sojourner are, are, are pretty similar. They're, they have the idea of someone who's temporarily abroad, temporarily away from their home. Uh, and I think either one of those three, I actually like pilgrim, but that's kind of old-fashioned. But that's the two I think that are the three that I think best uh, explain the situation. The King James has strangers. And I don't particularly like that for this reason. The people he are addressing had been for generations living where they were in, in used to be called Asia or all these other little uh, countries. They weren't strangers, they'd been living there for generations. So to call them strangers doesn't, to me, make sense. Uh, they'd been there a long time. And the word exiles, to me, that's even, even worse, I think, because the people there, unless you put it in a very narrow sense, they were not exiles. But we, we will talk about a little bit more about that later. But then we have my, my New American Standard says they were scattered. How many have the scattered? Oh, a few. How many have the word dispersion? Ah. Does your dispersion start with a capital D? There's really no dis dispute about what the meaning is because disperse and scatter have really the same meaning. You scatter something or you disperse something into it. They, they actually mean the same. But the dispersion with a capital D has a special meaning. Uh, it refers to the scattering of the Jewish people through through the nations. I mean, it started with the Assyrians and uh Babylonians, but the, the big thing that, that this is referring to was a dispersion among the, the Greeks. Uh, we have this term used uh, 
with a capital D in another place in Scripture, and that's in John 7.35. I will read that. Uh, this, the Jews said to one another, where does this man, and it's, it's Jesus, where does this Jesus intend to go so that he will, we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? So uh, that term uh, has a special meaning when the Greeks... Uh, took over the world after Alexander the Great died the Greeks ruled this part of the world and they took many thousands of Jews from their homeland as slaves throughout the Greek world uh, they went, took them everywhere as slaves and that's why when Paul went on his journeys wherever he went there were Greek people there they would be a majority would be Greeks or, or some other nationality, but there would be Jews spread everywhere because the Greeks came and just took them in mass as slaves throughout the world. And so that's called a dispersion that uh, spread the Jews everywhere. Uh, but if we get back to the text, whether we use scattered or dispersion, this makes a, a, a big difference. It makes a big difference whether you're talking about all Christians scattered throughout this area or if it's dispersion, then you're only talking about the Jewish people that were in this area. And I think Peter was writing to all the Christians, not just the Jews that were dispersed throughout this area. Now this idea of... Uh, of the Jews being spread out and being uh, being something written directly for their benefit, the Apostle James, when he wrote his book, he specifically addresses it to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. So when James wrote, that's who he was writing to. But Peter is not saying he's writing to the twelve tribes or just to the Jews. Uh, I think the best term is scattered is whatever Christians they were, whether they were of a Jewish background or a Gentile background, uh, I, I think the term scattered is better. I think the dispersion is giving you a bad idea that the First Peter was only written for one group of people. I think it was written for all Christians in this area. And I, I think there's two reasons for that. One is, as you go through the book, you find uh, instructions that would not have been written for Jewish people. It would have been written towards people from a heathen background. So the book itself would give evidence that it was written for all kinds of people. And uh, this is not just my idea that scattered is better. Dr. Wayne Grudem thinks that scattered is better because... The book addressed problems of different kinds of people, not just Jewish people. But then my second point is in what sense were these scattered Christians, whether of Jewish or Gentile background, in what sense were they aliens? If they were just Jews, you could say they're aliens from their hometown, their home country of, of Palestine. And that's why some people use exiles, which I, I 
think if you use exiles, then you're saying the book of Peter is is just written to the Jewish people, which so I don't like that the the translations that use exiles because I think it's it's written to everyone. Uh, but I think there's two kinds of aliens. There's physical aliens. You're not in your home country physically, but I think there's spiritual aliens. And I think Peter is using this term aliens in a spiritual sense, and I think it's he's using it in the same spiritual sense as the author of Hebrews uses it in Hebrews 11 in this famous, famous passage about Abraham. So I'm, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 8 through 10, because this term aliens are, uh, in the King James, I think it's still pilgrims. I, I like that too. But uh, Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, that's always amazing. By faith he lived as an alien, or years might say pilgrim, in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I think Abraham was an alien in two senses. He was away from his home country in a land that was going to be given to his descendants. So he was a physical alien. But more important, he was a spiritual alien. Where was his home country? He was looking for a home country. Uh, actually, there would have been no place on earth that would have satisfied Abraham because what he was looking for was a city his foundation and architect and builder is God. Um, Peter had great knowledge of the Old Testament and he knew that Abraham had been promised the land of Canaan. But he also knew that Abraham was looking for something better. Something better. Something indescribably better. Uh, But he was just a great example of a spiritual alien, someone that was living in this land, but looking forward to something much better. Uh, pastor's been talking about the the future, and when you become a believer, you become a citizen of heaven, but you don't see the full reality of that until sometime in the future. Well, that's that's why we're we're aliens. If we're believers, we're part of the heavenly kingdom, but we're not there yet. So we're aliens looking forward to being in our future homeland. Uh, that's what Abraham was looking for, and I think that's what Peter was looking for. But Peter even had a uh, better idea of what to be looking for because he had the words of Jesus himself from John 14. And just a small aside, uh, 
when you're dealing with cancer, John 14, uh, the first part of that, the verse, three verses can bring comfort to your heart. I'm going to read that. This is what Peter would have heard from Jesus himself. John 14, 1 to 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Or if you have the King James, I like the mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Peter had Jesus' very words that he was going to go to prepare a place, that heavenly place, and that someday Jesus was going to bring those that believe in him to be with him in that place. And as great as that place is, as great as heaven is going to be, what's the main joy of being there? It's not the place. It's the who we will be with. So the terms, you know, alien, pilgrim, and sojourners are not about Christians being away from their earthly home. It's about Christians being citizens of a heavenly country where they desire to be but are still on earth. So I, I think that's the sense that Peter's talking about aliens in First Peter 1. Christians that have their home set in heaven, but they're not there yet. They're aliens, are sojourners, are pilgrims, and that day is coming when we're going to be in that heavenly country with our Savior. So why is this distinction between a book directed at Jewish Christians as opposed to all Christians? Why is this important? Well, let's, let's think about the differences between the Jewish Christians that would be there and the Gentile Christians that would be there. The Jewish Christians would have had a background in the Mosaic Law and the Prophets. They would believe that man was created in the image of God. We're going to get to that pretty soon in Sunday school, right, Ben? They would have believed that. They would have believed that life was valuable. Uh, murder, such as abortion and infanticide, were not allowed in the Jewish culture. Women, especially wives, had rights. Uh, sexual immorality, such as adultery and homosexuality, were condemned. Lying and stealing and deception were condemned. That's, you know, what, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jewish people would be observing the Levitical laws about the food they ate. So they would have this background, but then if you got into the Jewish people, what would you find? A lot of legalism, right? And a lot of twisting of the Mosaic law. So not saying that the Jewish people didn't have problems. They had problems, but then they would have been way different problems than what you would have had with the Gentile people. So in the first century, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, what was that world like? Well, uh, 
polytheism or the worship of many gods was prominent. Uh, if you've had the classics, they had their Zeus or Jupiter or all these gods that they that they prayed to, and they also worshipped the emperor. Quite different from worshiping one true God. Life was cheap. Life was not valued. Abortion and fanticide were regularly practiced. Uh, slaves had no rights. Uh, none. Uh, slaves were considered inferior human beings. Adultery and homosexuality by men were widely accepted as a normal practices. Women basically had no rights. And public corruption in the Greek and Roman world was rampant, both in the public world and in the business world. Uh, and gaining favor with your God was not a based on living a moral life. Gaining favor with your God was based on what sacrifices you gave to him and how you worshipped them in public. Uh, because even the gods that they worshipped were immoral beings. If you read the their stories of their gods that that's, they made up. So you have very different cultures between the Gentiles and the Jewish people. Very different. And uh, the Apostle Peter was addressing both in First Peter. And some passages when we go through it. You will see we're directed to people that come from this heathen background and others would be more directed at the Jewish background. But it was aimed at everybody, which means it's aimed at all of us. Uh, if I could relate this, you say we don't have a Jewish-Gentile problem today in the church, do we? No. But I think I can relate it... Uh, in a different way to what happens in our world today. Uh, in our world, we have some people like my wife and I that both grew up in Christian, with Christian parents. We can't ever remember not going to church. Uh, we can't ever remember not believing that Jesus was the Son of God. We grew up that way, and hallelujah. Uh, but we have Christians that come from a very different background that knew nothing about Christianity, but somehow through the working of the Spirit they become Christians, but they don't have any of that background that we have. Uh, the ideas that we grew up with are almost in the back of our head. This is the way you're supposed to behave. Uh, that's not there. They're, what was normal in their lives is way different than what's normal in the lives of people that grew up in a Christian surrounding. And they're very different backgrounds and there's different problems. You can have legalism and uh, this is the way we do it on one side and, and the idea of no rules on another side. So we can have that same kind of divide that between the Jews and the Gentiles, but it's not based upon race, it's just based upon how we grew up. Uh, but So we can expect as we go through First Peter, to, for Peter address all kinds of problems for both uh, Jews and Gentiles, for people that grew up in the church 
and people that did not. We'll move on to chapter, verse 2. There's a little difference here. Some people put the who was chosen with verse 1 and some translations with verse 2. I think it belongs with verse 2, but I, I will read that uh, verse 2 with the who is chosen with it. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. So Peter's immediately moving into theology. And he's a Trinitarian, right? He talks about the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus. He's a Trinitarian. It's all right there. Uh, Peter describes how the three persons of the Trinity work together to accomplish the process of saving a lost soul, the process of producing a believer. First, Christians were chosen by God the Father, and it's before the foundation of the world. Paul would elaborate a little bit on this in Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. I'll try that again. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before love in him. So the first step is we were chosen by the Father. In theological terms, we'd call this unconditional election. And next we have the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle John records Jesus' own words about how the Holy Spirit works in John 3.8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Somehow the Spirit works in the hearts and minds of one that God has chosen to become a believer. Uh, he brings conviction of sin and a longing for something better, a seeking for reality and truth. He brings these things into the heart and minds of, of lost souls. Uh, and in theological term, we would call this irresistible grace. And then we have the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul elaborates on that in Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So to become a Christian, you're chosen by God the Father, led by the Holy Spirit to seek Jesus and then believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die on the cross to take away the sins of the world then you will be saved. And that's what Peter immediately goes to in his uh, beginning of his first Peter. Uh, but then it has, we know that it's the blood that Jesus shed that pays the price for our sins. But then we have this concept of sprinkled blood. Sprinkled blood. This idea of sprinkled blood is an Old Testament concept and it, it comes up when the first covenant was ratified between God and the children of Israel. We have this concept of sprinkling of 
blood. Uh, and I will read that from Exodus chapter 24, uh, verses 7 to 9, where it's uh, talking about this. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant. This is the covenant with the children of Israel. And read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. What powerful words. We know they didn't mean it. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So in the ancient world, if you sprinkle, made a covenant, and you sprinkle blood on the two parties, that was saying that you took this as serious as life itself. It's a very serious thing to take this kind of covenant. Um, and this covenant was made between God's chosen people and himself at Mount Sinai. It's usually called either the Levitical covenant or the Mosaic covenant. And the covenant was sealed with the blood of animals that were first uh, shed on the altar to represent God and then on the people. But this covenant didn't last because the people never kept their side of the covenant. They promised what? All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. But that didn't even last 40 days. It didn't last at all. So they broke that covenant. But we live under a different covenant. If we're believers, we live under the new covenant. Um, and a new covenant cannot be broken. Uh, uh, the author of Hebrews talks about this new covenant in Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason he, that is Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place, that is, his own death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, his imperishable blood, means that the people that are covered under it will be saved eternally. Everyone who is born of the Spirit will be saved eternally. Uh, a covenant sealed with animal blood could be broken, but a covenant sealed with the perfect Lamb of God cannot be broken. In theological terms, I think we would call that perseverance of the saints. And then Peter ends his introduction with the phrase, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Yes, because of the work of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ, grace and peace are available to us all who believe. So what did we learn this morning? First Peter is written to all. Christians. It's written for the, and since it was aimed at all Christians in that day, it's written to all Christians in our day. So it's not just written to a select group of people, it's to all Christians. And we also learned how the work of the Father, the Spirit, 
and the Son work together to bring about salvation for those that truly trust in him. Uh, Thank you. I hope I can again someday be back and preach again. But thank you for listening this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great promises that you give us in your word, that we who trust in your Son for our salvation know that someday we'll no longer be aliens in this land, but we will be citizens of heaven and be in heaven with him to enjoy life forever with our God and Savior. Please, Father, help us to not forget these great promises that you give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.